Hey, you're listening to the Encounter Church podcast. To learn more about Encounter Church, visit us at ecdenver.org, or you can find us on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram. Thank you for listening. I, I do want to let you know we're getting into a new series on, on neighborhood and neighborship. And this very first uh, Sunday, we're going to be uh, preaching out of the Gospel of Matthew, and we'll be in chapters 5, 6, and 7, uh, highlighting some verses. But, but I've subtitled uh, this message, Storm-Proofing Our Homes. And it comes right out of Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 to 29. And again, Christ is speaking. He says, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise. Like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rain comes in torment, torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it is built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish, like a person who builds his house on sand. When the rains and the floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. And when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, for he taught with real authority, quite unlike the teachers of the religious law. I don't know if you've noticed this lately. You know, I was out of town for a couple of weeks, so I, I heard about it vicariously. But it's been raining a lot. There's all kinds. Marilyn's house is leaking. First time in 25 years, she's got a roof leak. We're going to get it taken care of. I got friends with basements leaking for the first time. The storms are blowing in Denver and across America. And they're not all physical storms. Some of them are metaphoric storms. Storms of culture and, and deception and all kinds of things. And the issue to the body of Christ and the issue to us as Christians, are our houses going to survive and thrive or are they going to collapse? And I, I want to warn you, I don't mean this in, in a, to make you afraid, but if we don't build our houses, our personal lives, our families, our businesses, our, our congregation, our, our communities, if we don't build them around the teachings of Christ, we expose ourselves to potential disaster. Very important. Now, I'm not saying that badly because the good news is that we can be stormproof. That's the good news. The good news is we don't have to collapse. We can thrive and prosper and do good things in the midst of some of the worst times in the history of mankind. We don't have to be afraid of the storm. We can speak to the storm and say, be still. We can walk on the water in the middle of the storm because didn't Jesus do that? That's what we need to focus on, is storm-proofing our house. But what's interesting to me, and I'd never seen this before when I was studying this passage, Jesus does not say, he who listens to my teachings. He says, teaching, singular. Pretty intentional. Why? Because Jesus doesn't talk about a series of to-dos. He talks about a holistic life experience. He talks about somebody who has been grafted into the vine of the family of Jesus Christ and has decided that instead of living for themselves, they're going to live for the glory of God and for the kingdom of God. And we don't accept just one of Jesus' teachings. We don't take a look at what Jesus taught and said, well, I like that part, I'm going to do that, but those other parts I'm going to ignore. Because what happens then is we can, we can understand Jesus' teaching on sowing and reaping. So we become very generous and good stewards. And we experience financial blessings. 
But if we don't understand his teachings about marriage and relationships, we might have all the money in the world, but our, our personal life is a complete disaster. And how many of you would like to have a portion of your life to be a complete disaster? No, of course not. We want, that, we want the circle around our home to be complete. We want to have strong homes. All of us do. And the way we do that is to understand that Jesus had a teaching, a different way of life. And the great thing that I appreciate about Christ is he could have made this really complicated, but he didn't. Now, if you read between chapter 5 and 7 of, of Matthew, it's the Sermon on the Mount, it's the Beatitudes, there's a lot in there. But at the, towards the end of that entire discourse, he says this, do to others whatever you would like them to do to you. Anybody ever heard that before? It says, I think in the King James, do unto others, you know, as you would have them do unto you. This is the essence of all that is taught in the Law and the Prophets. Now, Paul took this and actually expanded on it when he was, when he was speaking to the Romans. He, he said this in Romans 13, 8 to 10. He said, Owe nothing to anyone except your obligation to love one another. If you love your neighbor, you will fulfill the requirements of God's law. Not maybe, not could be, not can't. You will. For the commandments say you must not commit adultery, you must not murder, you must not steal, you must not covet. These and other such commandments are summed up in this one commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to others, so love fulfills the requirements of God's laws. So if we want to stormproof our homes, we're going to learn to love our neighbors. Not the way we think, but the way Christ thinks we should love our neighbors. And if we take a look at how we treat other people, it is, a, it is an absolute reflection of what we understand about God's love for us. You can't separate them. In, in fact, it's interesting, in this same passage, uh, Jesus is speaking in Matthew 7, 21 to 23. He says, not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and perform many miracles in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. To me, in the context of what's said there, what he's doing is I can sit down with you and observe your life and see how you treat other people, how you treat your neighbors. I can, I can really ask, do we love our neighbors as ourselves? Because if the answer to that is no, we don't love our neighbors as ourselves, and we don't understand God's love, we have missed the gospel because we don't understand what was done for us. Therefore, we don't extend the same grace to others. And so we may believe that Jesus is the Son of God, and we may run around doing charismatic type things because that's what the Scriptures imply. Because, you know, Steve said that. I'm all power in heaven on earth. I now give unto you. But if we miss this fundamental thing about loving others, we have not storm-proofed our home. We've just deluded ourselves that, that, that we're living on high ground when really we're in New Orleans six feet under sea level. And we just had some really good pumps because this is the part that's real. So, so what does Jesus mean by loving our neighbors as ourselves? Be good to know, right? Well, you guys look really serious we got to get better coffee or something. I don't know. There's extra donuts. Maybe I should have them bring them in and just hand one to everybody in the room. Just be eating donuts. Everything is better with a donut, all right? It's all good. 
Well, well, let's just go back. Let's, this is in chapter 7 of Matthew. Let's go back a couple of verses or a couple of chapters and see kind of what are some scriptures in this, this collection called the, the, the Sermon on the Mount that would apply to neighbors and to others that, that are kind of external issues. Well, let's start with Matthew 5.16. It says, In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. Well, if we are loving others the way Christ loved us, if we're loving our neighbors as ourselves, we're called to good works, but let me just challenge you. It goes beyond giving them cookies. Anybody ever get cookies delivered to your house when you first moved into a neighborhood? Welcome wagon. Anybody? Nobody? Nobody? Did anybody ever take cookies to a neighbor? Anybody? Maybe you have to be old to do that. I, I don't know. But, but it's how you used to greet people. New neighbor comes to town, you take them over a batch of cookies or, or whatever, you know, and then you just welcome them to the neighborhood. And that's fine as far as it goes. But I think Christ wants us to go deeper. In fact, I think Christ wants us to be known. You know, when you say, uh, how would you describe Christians? Well, one of the things he'd like us to be known as is people who do good works. We're just good people. We look for things that the enemy has broken, and we try to fix them. I was you know, thinking about examples, and I had this, this image in my mind of a, of a neighborhood park that had been run down and of a bunch of believers deciding that, hey, you know, we could clean that up. We could cut that grass. We could pull those weeds. We could fix that merry-go-round. That may sound very 1950s, you know, but, but the, the, you get my thing, that, that something that was meant to be a blessing is now broken, and, and Christians can look at that, and they can adopt that, and they say, we can, we can fix that and make it better. You know, we, we could do that. I was, I was uh, talking to somebody at my doctor's office this week, and I was in there you know, getting some tests here, coming up on some stuff, and, and I was talking to her, and she was telling me how frustrated she was that, that nobody seemed to care about anybody else anymore. And I thought, well, that's not how it should be. Shouldn't there be people who care about other people? And she says, you know, I, you, know I, you can't seem to get volunteers to do anything. And that's not totally true. That's sort of a jaded view of the world. Because I think a lot of people volunteer a lot of places. I mean, I do. I, I, we do a number of things. And, and we're going to be doing some things this summer with the broader faith community of, of Centennial. The, the mayor asked us if we would consider you know, doing some outreaches to the children of homeless families. They're called McKinney-Vento kids, and, and we've done stuff with the Aurora McKinney-Vento kids, and they're kind of wanting us to do some stuff here in Centennial. I said, sure, not just me, but probably at 10 other churches. We're going we're gonna to try to do some things because the devil has broken some stuff, and we can do that. And so that's one of the things I think being a neighbor is, is a part of, is we're the people who do good stuff, and that helps, that helps stormproof our homes. But what else did Christ talk about? Well, he said that we're the people who bless our enemies. Matthew 5, 43 and 47. You have heard the law say, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. There's a big one. In that way, you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. Not people who think they're children of their Father in heaven, but people who are true children. For he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good. You can pray that over the day today because sunlight is coming. And he sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. But if you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do it that much. And if you're kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? 
Even pagans do that. Did you know that not all our neighbors are nice? <laughs> now, I'm blessed. I've got great neighbors. But have you ever had a neighbor that was just a pain in the neck in other places? You know what I'm saying? They're just, they're just mean. We had a guy in my neighborhood growing up. He's just mean. I don't know if he had an ingrown toenail or what his problem was, but, man, I never heard a kind word ever come out of his mouth. He was like, oh, my God! You know, and if we hit a baseball into his yard, you'd have thought we'd have, you know, axe murdered his mother or something. You know, he'd chase us off. And he's just mean. He was mean, and, and that happens. And not all of our neighbors like us. Did you ever have a neighbor who didn't like you? I had one when I was, you know, single, and, and she was convinced, you know, and she didn't, you know, I, she even accused me of keying her car. And I said, I didn't key your car. She said, I know it was you. Why? I, what, what, I don't even know you, you crazy psycho person. Because I didn't key her car, and it did, you know, whatever. But not all of our neighbors like us. But then the question is, if we are really sons and daughters of God, and if we're trying to storm-proof our home, and if we're trying to love our neighbor as ourselves, who's on our enemies' list, and how are we praying for them? Do we bless our enemies? Or do we say, God, open up the earth and swallow them? Pour out fire and brimstone upon their heads that they might be struck blind and deaf and dead. You know, Lord, you know, give them boils and all the worst parts of the Old Testament. Infect their home with frogs and gnats and fleas. <laughs> I mean, I, you know, come on, let's be a, you know, you know how it goes. I know how we all feel. Don't, don't be pretending you all righteous on me. You know, it's, it's, this is where we're at, but, but that doesn't storm-proof our homes. What storm-proofs our homes is we start to plead the blood of Jesus. Here's one that I wrote, and I was, I was saying, do I say this, Lord? And he says, yeah. And I have to actually apply this to myself. I'm not sure what to do with this. But the question he asked me was this, who has hurt you that you could be kind to? Ain't that something? Because I want to storm-proof my house. So who's been, who has hurt me that I could be kind to? Because then I will be loving my neighbor as myself. We're the people who bless our enemies. Not a bad thing to be known by. You guys know some people. I hate other covered. I know you're thinking about it right now. We're the people who don't need the spotlight. Watch out. This is Matthew 6.1. Do not do your good deeds publicly to be admired by others, for you will lose the reward. You will lose the reward from your Father in heaven. When you give to someone in need, do it as the, don't do it as the hypocrites do, blowing trumpets in the synagogues and the streets to call attention to their acts of charity. I tell you the truth, they have received all the reward they will ever get. But when you give to someone in need, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Give your gifts in private. And your Father who sees everything, boy, he loves calling God our Father. Our Father who sees everything will reward you. Have you noticed that our culture has got somewhat narcissistic? Which means everybody wants everybody to look, say, look at me, look at me. I mean, social media doesn't help. You know, uh, look what I cooked. Here it is. I mean, I'm probably as guilty as the next person. I love, and, and, and there's some good sides to social media. But there's a lot of people bragging about themselves on social media. 
And, you know, look at all the good we're doing. Look at all the things we're doing. And, and God's saying, well, that's great. You can have men praise you or me praise you. Which would you prefer? You can have the reward of the praises of men or you can storm-proof your home by learning that you don't need to be the spotlight. In fact, what we do is not to bring glory to us, it's to bring glory to God. And, and let's be candid. In this culture, how many corporations practice corporate charity, not because they give a rip about anybody they're serving, but they just want to look good in the public eye? <laughs> Did I say that? Is it true? The difference is that we're not like them, or shouldn't be. We should love our neighbors as ourselves because God loves them, and they're human beings, and they're broken, and they're deceived, and they're messed up. And so our job is to help them find the grace of God, which is the same grace we discovered, because then we're going to be loving our neighbors as ourselves. We don't do it because we think it's the right thing to do. We do it because we sincerely care about people, even people who are mean to us. And that's not easy. That takes the spirit of God. We want to storm-proof our homes? we got to be known as the people who do good works, the people who don't need the spotlight, you know, the people who bless their enemies. But we also need to be known as the people who forgive. If you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. Now, I'm not saying that he's saying you're not saved. But he is saying that forgiving is essential to loving. You cannot claim to love somebody if you haven't forgiven them. And if we're to love our enemies and those people who have hurt us, we got to forgive. And only, only you and I know who those truly are. And does that mean you change your attitude towards somebody instantaneously just because you forgive them? No. But it does mean you understand that forgiveness has inherent within it this concept of removing judgment and applying grace. Because if you go with me to the last point I want to make this morning, if we want to be people who love our neighbors as ourselves, people who storm-proof our homes, we have to do all those things. But, but the last I want to share with you is we've got to be people who don't judge. Matthew 7, verses 1 and 2. Do not judge others and you will not be judged. For it, you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging others is the standard by which you will be judged. This is an interesting verse to me. Some people would try to make it sound like, well, then you should think that everything everybody else does is okay. That is not true. Okay, when Jesus met the woman caught in adultery, he didn't look at her and say, honey, your adultery was fine. Okay? He didn't say that. He said, he, he told her, you know, where are your accusers? Neither do I accuse you. Go and sin no more. I mean, adultery is wrong, right? That's one of those things in the Ten Commandments. But what he didn't do is choose to apply the letter of the law. He chose to apply grace. And so when I read this and it says, do not judge others, it says to me, in, in the context of what we're talking about, that the world would be a better world if more people applied grace and not judgment. Not that we dismiss wrong acts as right, because there's some stuff that's flat wrong. That's not right. But we don't need to go around saying, you know, you deserve this, and you deserve that, and you deserve that, and you deserve that, and you deserve... And I know what you deserve, Otis. 
okay? Thank you for sitting up front. You make a wonderful target. Uh, all right. But, but, but that's not the way God wants us to live. That doesn't stormproof our homes. When we walk in and say, you know, I know what you did and I know it wasn't right, but you know, I know God loves you and I love you. And so I, I extend to you grace and mercy, not ignoring what's going on, but, but living in a place of mercy and, and, and humility, admitting that the same flaws that we see in others, kind of we see in ourselves. Now again, that doesn't mean that we excuse wrong behavior. It doesn't mean that we simply say, well, you know, there are no rules and everything is okay, because that's, that's ridiculous. Sin is anything that hurts you or hurts someone through you. God is not capricious. He doesn't like fence us in. He gives us guardrails in our lives to keep us out of trouble. That's why he says don't do those things. Why is adultery a sin? Because it hurts people. Amen? And that's, it's, if, as long as you understand that, then, then you can look at this and say, that person who's doing that, who are they hurting? Themselves, most of all. And they're hurting others, and you can extend grace to them. So if we want to storm-proof our homes, I would like to ask you to, to consider your life and think about what are some of the good deeds that you could engage in? Where do you see brokenness that you can, can start to, to say, you know, I can't do everything, but I can do that. I can help there. Who do you have to forgive? Who do you have to, to extend grace to? Who's been mean to you that God's asking you to bless? Only you can answer those questions. And I know that's hard. I remember a counseling session I had years ago with someone whose, whose mother was in a desperate situation, and they'd been estranged for years. And frankly, his mother was a witch. Not, not a witch like a witch, but you understand what I'm saying. She was a selfish, mean-spirited person who was mad at everybody. And he said, I don't want to help her. I don't. I don't care what happens to her. I don't love her. I have no feelings for her. And he didn't. And I understood. He had, a, he had some justification. And yet, the question is not whether he was justified, but what would God do? And would there be a blessing in his life by extending kindness to this person who should have been the best advocate in his life, but who was one of the greatest abusers of his existence. See, I, I look on this that we're not looking for people to reward us. We're looking for God to reward us. And if you want to stormproof your home, the best way to stormproof your home is to let God put his seal of grace on your family, on your marriages, on, on your community. And that's what I want for Encounter. I want God's blessings and God's presence. So I challenge us as we are thinking on this rainy Sunday Let's be neighbors who are worthy of the name Christian, who people would say, that is, that's, that's the kind of people I want to live next to. They do stupid, weird things on Sunday morning, and they, they, you know, they don't do things that we think are normal, but you know, they're darn good people to have in your life. Let's pray. Thank you. Father, I thank you for the Word of God. It is living. It is active. It encourages us. It corrects us. It transforms us. It reveals truth to us in a way that, that maybe we don't hear in other sources. I know your heart. Your heart, God, is that people would prosper and thrive and, and be blessed and that your, your hedge of protection would, would descend upon their homes. We want 
to stormproof our lives in every way possible. But God, if the essence of the law, if the essence of your teachings is to love our neighbors as ourselves, then let us make that a priority. Let us understand the protection inherent in that call to compassion. Help us not forget this message, but help us think of things that we're provoked to do that may be uncomfortable, but boy, they have a blessing associated with them. They have a blessing associated with them. Yeah, they're difficult, but by your grace, we can do difficult things. And Father, if if anyone watching or anyone in person this morning, if they don't know Christ, and, and again, I'm speaking to each one of you individually, not just this corporate community. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, if everybody would keep their heads bowed and their eyes closed for just the next minute or two, if you'd say to me, you know, Pastor Reese, either I don't have a relationship with God or there is something that has come up in my life that has separated me from God. And maybe I, I just got busy and walked away or maybe you got involved in something that you know is wrong and you kind of wish you kind of wish you hadn't done it, but you've done it and you're just wanting to reconcile that relationship. You, you, wanna, you, don't, want to, you don't want there to be anything that separates you from your Heavenly Father. And if that's, if that's you, and, you, and you're willing to be honest with me this morning, would you just slip your hand up and say, that's me. There's just some stuff in my life that's come up. There's some things that are happening. I've never known Christ. Thank you. I appreciate that. And let's pray. Let's all say this together. Say, Father, forgive us. You know what we do. And you don't reject us. We want to receive your grace and your mercy. Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Encounter Church, visit ecdenver.org or find us on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram.